0: Well, good morning again. As I said earlier, uh, we're living through one of those special times and not all times are equal. Sometimes God makes it possible again for an entire globe, every nation, every people group, to make a U-turn back towards him. And we're living through one of those special times in which the sovereign God of the universe makes it possible Uh, for us to do that to seek him as never before and when we humble ourselves and seek him we can pray in confidence that he hears us and if you just happen to stumble on this video stream today again like us, pass it on, share the word with others and uh, you may not even be a person who believes in God and you normally Probably don't even attend church anywhere. That's okay. Let me just first uh, say up front that the God who who created the heavens and the earth, he is the sovereign ruler of the universe. And God is much bigger than the coronavirus, COVID-19. Let me say that up front. Because the God who created the entire universe for his pleasure, his glory, for that God to come to this tiny blue planet to save people like you, to save people like me, through the blood of his son, uh, Jesus Christ, to raise him from the dead. And because Jesus tasted death, he triumphed. He triumphed over both sin and he defeated death. And that's where our hope comes from. He gives us hope for eternal life, and that truly is good news. I mean, I had a co-worker uh, last week walked walked into my office and and said, well, you know, what what are you telling people right now in the midst of all this confusion? And, you know, I just just said, you know, I just quote the words of Jesus, you know, peace I leave with you and my peace I give to you. You're going to have much trouble uh, in the world. Take fear, uh, do not fear. Uh, take heart instead. I've overcome the world. That's what that's what Jesus told us. And let not your hearts be troubled. Uh, neither let it be afraid. So um, I try to encourage my my worker with those words. And I uh, would like to encourage uh, you with this this message today. Um, and and the congregation here at Uptown Baptist Church knows I don't. Preach nice little sermonettes, okay? This is the full sermon. This is going to be 1 Peter 1 through 4. And I shared that with one of my uh, uh, elders uh, uh, recently this week, and he said, What happened to 1 Peter 5? There are five chapters. And I said, Well, you know, 1 Peter is like, uh, 1 Peter 5 is really meant for, for elders. I mean, he leads off by saying, You know, elders, you know, watch over the flock that's been entrusted to you that's uh, so basically the last chapter would be preaching to myself and there's no point in doing that so we're just going to limit to uh, first Peter one to four but uh, I'm just going to limit it to four points uh, you know for each of those chapters it's an encouraging letter uh, to those who are going through some suffering this this morning but it's also an encouraging and a challenging letter Uh, to the church uh, of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I just have four points to make uh, uh, according to these four chapters. First, we're a community of suffering saints, okay? Christians are not immune uh, to suffering and pain, okay? The second point, uh, Jesus is the cornerstone, and we, uh, Christian believers, we're the living stones. You know, that's important to remember. He's the cornerstone, and we are the living stones, and then uh, the third point is that we're to follow Jesus' example in his sufferings. That's easier said than done. And then finally, the fourth chapter in First Peter is about, all about how we should carry ourselves, our attitudes, our words, our behavior, how we treat other people. Right now in this time of suffering and pain and confusion, what we say to others, how we treat one another is absolutely important. So uh, that's the good news that the world desperately needs to hear, especially uh, those uh, of us who are just completely gripped by fear. Uh, The good news, the gospel, is that bigger story of how God loved us enough, he loved you and me enough that he would save us from our sins through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And this is the second of our COVID-19 series of messages leading up to Easter, where we celebrate the the resurrection of of God's Son, Jesus Christ. And so um, if you're a Christian believer and, and you're watching this message, this message will not only focus on our witness as individual Christians, but also our collective witness as a church in this particular moment in modern history at a time when the entire world is absorbed in this global health and uh, economic crisis. I believe that, still believe that COVID-19 presents Christians and our churches with an unprecedented opportunity to grow closer and more dependent upon God and be the salt and light to those who need us most. As a dear friend of mine uh, often says uh, and exhibits every day, Uh, You know, this is the time um, when we need to exhibit calm and steady leadership at all levels. And that includes the church. That includes the church. So I'd like to start at the end first and go back. We start at the end of 1 Peter 4 and work backwards to the first chapter. Okay? In 1 Peter 4, verse 12, he says, Beloved, this is Peter talking, Beloved, don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you, okay? There's nothing strange here. Uh, You know, Jesus himself said in Matthew 5.45 that God makes his son rise on the evil and on the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust. Yes, these are unprecedented times that we're living in, but Christians should not think that we're somehow immune to the pain and suffering that's happening all over the world. As one of my favorite authors, C.S. Lewis, said uh, in one of his essays, actually he said this, this is a often quoted uh C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity, God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks to us in our conscience, but shouts to our pains. Pain. It is God's megaphone to rouse, to wake up a deaf world. And as I mentioned earlier, if this doesn't bring us to our knees, I don't know what is. I don't know what is going to bring us to our knees. So C.S. Lewis Further said this about uh, when he was writing this essay, it was the height of World War II, and you can compare the coronavirus with the atomic bomb. And this is what Lewis had to say. He said, Death itself was not a chance at all, but a certainty. Okay? In essence, he's saying that this coronavirus is not a novelty at all, it's just the latest in a long line of painful and premature death to a world that is already bristled with such chances, including nuclear war, cancer, if it's not cancer, it's gun violence, you name it. So the first action to be taken is to pull ourselves together. And Lewis said back in 1948, if we're all going to be destroyed by an atom bomb, let that bomb or let that virus When it comes, find us doing sensible and human things, like praying, like working at home, like teaching one another, reading books, listening to music, bathing our kids. We shouldn't be huddled together like frightened sheep and thinking about bombs or the virus. Bombs may break our bodies. A microbe can do that too, but they need not dominate our minds. And we as people of hope should, shouldn't have uh, this virus to, uh, not, uh, to dominate our minds. So today, I'd like to further explore about our Heavenly Father's redeeming love for us and how it plays out in the life of a community like Uptown Baptist Church that should display wisdom, discernment, and courage in the current crisis that we find ourselves in. So 1 Peter 1, to 1-7, please read with me if you have your, your Bibles or it's on the screen. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, the exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. which perishes, even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Verse 8, though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of Of your souls. We, first point, we are a community of suffering saints just like everybody else. The Apostle Peter addresses Christians who are living in Asia Minor, this is modern Turkey. He calls them strangers in this world. Okay, Peter is writing to those early Christians who were undergoing great suffering and persecution. Because a great wave of persecution came to the early church after Jesus was taken up into heaven. The persecution, the suffering was sweeping over the church in Jerusalem. All the believers except Jesus' closest followers fled to the surrounding regions. We see this happening in Acts 8:1, following the death of Stephen, the first Christian martyr, Acts 8:1. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. So these were the early Christian believers who were suffering for their faith in the gospel. They were known as traitors to the Jews. They can sense that this thing is headed towards physical persecution any day now. They're discouraged, confused, mocked. Passed over by their society, many of them have lost jobs, and many of our own members have lost jobs this past week, just like everybody else. in the unemployment rolls. Many of them have families who've turned their backs on them. They're living lives of suffering and persecution, and they're scattered throughout Asia Minor. These are the folks that Peter is writing to, and so, in the midst of this situation. that's that's known as COVID-19. If you're a Christian and you have faith and hope in the resurrected Christ, you probably feel and you should feel like a complete stranger in our society right now. Uh, Last week, as you may recall, Pastor Mark Jones shared a story of his His experience waking up and going to Jewel Osco one early morning, finding a parking lot full of cars, lots of shoppers on the edge of panic, uh, making a run for toilet paper and bottled water. Folks, in hard times such as these, Christians need to know whose we are and who we are. We need to know that we are identified with Christ. We're seated in the heavenly places with Christ, and you know that you're a part of the family of God, and that is the church, and that's what the church is for in times like these. So in the past week, uh, as we said, we started a week-long virtual prayer meeting, okay? We're, We're reaching out to one another by phone, by video, to see if anybody's in need, and to the world, that's not normal, okay? In a social sense, we are like Strangers in this world, as Peter said. Christ calls us to be foreigners, strangers in this world. We learned last week that one of our members, uh, Sister Laverne, who's in her 80s, she's got a, a daughter in Maywood, Illinois, who's been diagnosed with stage four cancer. Well, Laverne moved in with her to take care of her daughter in the midst of this COVID crisis. And this is the third year in a row that Sister Laverne is dealing with the possible death of one of her adult children. Well, this is not anything strange to the church. From its earliest days, the church has been known for taking care of our own members, as we should. But we should also practice generosity towards those outsiders in their time of need. You know, the Emperor Julian in the first century, he was no friend of the church, okay? His nickname was the apostate, okay? That was his nickname. Even he knew that one of the reasons for the early church's expansion, exploding, was our social welfare. Emperor Julian said this about the early Christians, that Christianity has been specially advanced through the loving service rendered to strangers and through their care care of the burial of the dead. It is a scandal that there is not a single Jew who is a beggar and that the Christians care not only for their own poor, but for ours as well, while those who belong to us look in vain for the help we should give them. By 250 A.D., history has it that Christians were feeding more than 1,500 of the hungry, and destitute in Rome every single day. And I, I really appreciate uh, our volunteers working with Pastor Mark last week. Again, we're coordinating very closely with the city health officials in terms of what, how, how, what services we should be providing to the public in this time of need. And we were able to feed 45 people in the last Monday night meal uh, with, with their help. So Peter wants his readers to look at their lives and locate it in the midst of God's plan of redemption in the world. We must not forget the big picture. In 1 Peter 1, Peter celebrates the work of our triune God in saving his people. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father, he says in verse 2, refers to God as knowing all things. He is omniscient, okay? COVID-19 took everybody in the entire world by surprise, except God. God was not surprised because only He knows the end from the beginning. Time and space stops with God, okay? He knew when this thing began in late December. Only He knows where the bottom is. Only he knows where the top of the bell curve is, okay? Nobody else knows. Not the politicians, not the healthcare officials. They can all try to speculate. But our God already knows how this thing is going to end, okay? In the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood refers to the Holy Spirit setting apart his people to obey God's call for them to follow Christ and to be saved and to grow in holiness. Then Peter speaks of the sovereign grace of God in verse 3. He praises God for the new birth to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Do you have this living hope that Peter's describing here? Do you have it? You can if you place your faith and trust in the risen, resurrected Christ. Because our hope is, As Brother Philip sang a while ago, our hope is anchored in the gospel, the good news. And it helps us to have confidence in the midst of suffering and in times when we're asked to give reasons for our faith. When we place our faith in God to save us from our sins through the finished work of Christ... We, like all believers, have the living hope that we will one day be reunited with Christ in his resurrection. We're not resigned simply to fate, okay? We're not just passive victims of fate. That's not the good news. It is the resurrection of the dead that gives Christians our eternal hope. Because without the resurrection, we have no hope. Paul said that in 1 Corinthians 15, 19. If in Christ we have hope only in this life, we are of all people most to be pitied. Then in verse 4 of Peter, 1 Peter 1, he compares our hope to an imperishable, undefiled, unfading inheritance. The hope of Christians around the world is our future resurrection. Our hope is unmistakably connected to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. So Peter encouraged these early believers to hang on now for a little while because the genuineness of their faith was being tested by times of suffering. He says in verse 5, It is God who protects us through His power by sustaining our faith unto the end. And in verse 7, Peter reminds his audience that their suffering fits into the purposes of God. He says, the prophets of God, even the angels, long to experience the day that you are experiencing. He said in verses 10 to 11. Peter reminds them that their lives, our lives, are attached to the word of the gospel. Peter exhorts his readers to lead holy and obedient lives, an effort made possible because of the new birth that has occurred in their lives through the living word of God. This is 1 Peter 1:13 to 24. And I'll just add this. When we, when we say obedient lives, uh, I'll just interject this here. This is not the time for Christians to become part of the problem. We need to be part of the solution and obey our health officials. Obey our government authorities and pray for them. Okay? Pray for them. Then Peter comes to chapter 2. He reminds his audience that all these blessings take place in the context of the believing community, the church. Folks, we are part of something bigger than ourselves. Which leads me to my second point, that Jesus is the cornerstone and the Christian believers, that's us, are the living stones. Look at verse 4 and verse in chapter 2. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built up into a spiritual house. Verse 5 To be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And then in verse 6, he quotes, Peter quotes Isaiah twenty-eight sixteen. for in scripture it says, See, I lay in stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone for a sure foundation. The one who relies on it will never be stricken with panic. Folks, I love, the, I love the, uh, the theme from FedEx, or the motto, FedEx's motto is, don't panic, okay? We don't need to panic. Peter does something here interesting. In verse 4, he calls Jesus a living stone. Now, a stone in and in, uh, in of itself, it's cold, it's hard, it's of little value. Well, Peter is alluding to Isaiah 28, 16 and applying that stone to Jesus himself. That sure foundation is embodied in the Lord Jesus Christ, who's referred to as the precious cornerstone. That cornerstone is the critical stone in the corner of the foundation that ensures that a stone building is square and stable. Now, Pastor Mark, I have no idea where the cornerstone of this building is at. But I know that it is holding us up for sure because I, we're, we're sitting here. Jesus here is the sure foundation and he saves as no one else can. And Isaiah emphasizes that God's salvation is worth believing in. You see, the reference to a living stone in, in chapter 2, verse 6 should remind us to get back to 1 Peter 1, 1.3, because Scripture interprets Scripture, 1 Peter 1, 1.3 says the same thing, that Jesus is the living hope. We have a living hope because Jesus has risen from the dead. Jesus is a living stone because he is resurrected from the dead. And as the living stone, Jesus was rejected, He was mocked, He was spat upon, He was ridiculed, He was rejected by men and killed. But He rose from the dead because He was the chosen one by God. He's the precious one, He's the treasured one, He was the living stone that was promised of old. And this picture is painted for this purpose in chapter 2, verse 5. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up into a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices to God through Jesus Christ. Believers will undergo the same type of suffering that Jesus experienced, folks. We're chosen, we're precious in Christ, We're not rejected by God, but we're precious to God. We are living stones. We're not individual stones, okay? And this is why you and I need our churches, okay? You have to dismiss the false idea that you don't need the church. We all need the church, okay? And this virus crisis will come to an end, and we need to physically get together. I mean, this great technology allows us to connect with one another, but we can't live out our faith alone. We need the body. Notice also that Peter uses different imagery, different pictures in verses 4 to 5. He uses the spiritual house, a holy priesthood, living stones. Why does he do this? Because Jesus Christ actually fulfills all these ideas, and we are being built up into Christ likeness. You see, the Old Testament temple, the priesthood, the sacrificial system in Israel, they were all shadows of the reality of Jesus Christ who was to come. Okay? God's doing all kinds of things in the world in Christ, and we are connected to him. God has not forsaken you, saints, wherever, wherever you are today. He has not forsaken you. He has connected you to his redemption story from beginning to end. It is only this divine connection that we have to the plan, the privileges, the purposes of God that will sustain us through the storms of life, including the coronavirus. Outside of that hope, I have no idea how you're getting by at these times. I have no idea. Then, in chapter 2, verses 7 to 8, Peter reminds his audience that the only way that they will be safe is that they're protected by the cornerstone if they stand by the cornerstone. Now to you who believe this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe he quotes from Psalms 118.22, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And he quotes again from Isaiah 8.14, a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined to do. Peter will not relent in reminding his audience of of God's sovereignty. He tries to comfort people in light of situations like the coronavirus. You see, God is in control over every molecule in our universe, as I told my co-worker last week. He's unfolding his redemptive plan in history and the world. Everything ultimately is about the redemptive plan that God has in Jesus Christ. Everything is in line or out of line in, rela- in relation to Jesus Christ. Everything in the world and everything in the church and ministry is all about our lives and our ministry lining up with that cornerstone because that's the foundation that keeps our ministries going. We're not just out there doing good deeds We're aligning our lives with the cornerstone because that's the only sure foundation. Now thirdly, we're to follow Jesus' example in suffering. In verses 9 to 10, chapter 2, Peter reminded the early followers of Jesus that they're God's special people group whom he called out of darkness into his marvelous light. Get this, 9 and 10, he says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are a people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Peter encouraged the early Christians who were experiencing tremendous persecution for their faith. And he exhorted them to follow the example of Jesus, who suffered first for us. He said this in verses 21 to 25 of verse 2. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you. He left you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten But he continued entrusting himself to God who judges rightly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed for you were straying like sheep. But now you have returned to the shepherd and bishop of your souls. Peter emphasized that obedience to Christ leads to God blessing us in verses 9 and 14 of chapter 3. He assures believers that the Lord has his eyes upon us in verse 12 of chapter 3. He'll provide his grace to strengthen and establish us in the midst of suffering and in times of need. Verse 10 in chapter 5, Peter is speaking from his own painful experience as he recalled on the night, That Jesus was betrayed. He struck the servant of the high priest on his right ear. Peter denied knowing Christ three times. This is the same Peter now who would go on to request for the Romans to crucify him upside down on the cross because he did not think that he was worthy enough to be crucified in the same manner as his Lord Jesus Christ. Which leads me to my final point. Our attitudes, our actions, what we say and do in these times, how we treat each other, how we treat other people are vitally important. And I'm not going to read 1 Peter two thirteen to chapter 3, verse 12. You can read on your own time. As you reflect on this, Peter exhorts Christians to godly living in a world that rejects their message, often even in their own families, okay? Even between spouses, he says. Why? Because Christians bear witness to the good news, the gospel, when they live in a way that people will see the light in them and glory, glorify God in heaven. Peter gives more detailed instructions to Christian wives in verses 1 to 6 in chapter 3 than to Christian husbands He gives one verse of instruction to Christian husbands in verse 7, and you can see it there. The reason for this is seen when the larger context is considered, okay? You've got to consider the larger context here. The larger context, Peter is instructing those who are in a vulnerable position, servants, wives, to live out their hope in God by submitting to those in authority over them. This larger context goes back to 1 Peter 2, 11-12. There, Peter speaks of his readers as sojourners, exiles, strangers. The imagery suggests that the believer's true home, our true home, is not of this world. In light of this reality, Peter wants believers to live godly lives in order to highlight the gospel. Okay? He then gives several examples of how Christians... Are to live in this foreign land. First, citizens are to live in submission to the governing authorities. That's in verses 13 to 17 in chapter 2. Servants are subject to their masters. Verses 14 to 25 in chapter 2. And wives are to win over their unbelieving husbands. You had quite a few Christian wives married to unbelieving husbands. Okay? But they're to win over their unbelieving husbands not by badgering them with the gospel but by their winsome behavior winsome behavior the goal is that they who is the they the governing authorities the unbelieving bosses the unbelieving spouses would see the believers good works and glorify god first peter 12 First Peter 3:12. This echoes Jesus' own words in Matthew 5:16, when he said, "In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father who's in heaven." This is not the time for civil disobedience. This is the time for us to respect our authorities and what they said when the mayor said, "Stay home, save lives." Every chapter in First Peter, Peter contains practical instruction as to how we should live and what attitudes we should adopt. In the middle of all this instruction, Peter gives a very clear command to set apart Christ as Lord of our hearts and to be prepared to give a reason for the hope that you have. First Peter 3.15, read it. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. And do it, get this, do this with gentleness and respect, okay? Don't be offensive when you're trying to explain your faith to people right now, okay? Don't be offensive. Don't throw a bunch of scriptures in their face, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Well, what then can we learn from this brief text? First, the lordship of Christ needs to be a settled factor in our lives. The term heart refers both to the seed of our feelings, but our soul, our thoughts. Every part of us needs to be under the authority and obedient to Christ as Lord. Peter exhorts his readers to exchange fear and intimidation for setting Christ apart as Lord in their hearts. He expects that these believers' attitudes and responses are are being shaped by the gospel so that they they respond to people with answers that are accompanied by gentleness and respect. The assumption is that because our lives and attitudes are different, Due to living in obedience to God's commands, people will ask why. We're told that some non-Christians will ask questions so that we should always be prepared to respond. In other words, there should actually be a demand for a reason because of the quality of our lives, right? Is the way you're living your life, is the way I'm living my life generating any interest in the gospel right now at all. So I ask you, church, what fears, what fears are most likely to keep you from sharing your hope, your faith through words, through practical actions with your neighbors, your co-workers right now. What's keeping you from sharing your hope and faith? Is it a fear of rejection? Is it a fear of failure? Is it a fear uh, you may lose the relationship? Is it a fear of uh, loss of reputation? Is it a fear of looking foolish? Fear of death? Uh, Fear of of suffering? Bring those fears. Bring all of them to Jesus. He's the author and the finisher of our faith. And don't worry about how it's going to come out of your mouth, okay? You let the Holy Spirit worry about that. Okay? We just obey and we share. We share hope and we share faith. The reason for the hope that we have is the cross and the resurrection. There is no other reason why the Christian has hope. And there's no other reason for our confidence. Any answer that's aimed at giving the reason for the hope must therefore lead to and flow from the cross. We're on the road to Good Friday. We're on the road to... Easter. We must never lose sight of this fact. However, at the same time, we must recognize that people may have other legitimate questions that need to be dealt with, okay, before they're prepared to give us a reason or give us a hearing, okay? Uh, We've got to sort of clear the brush for people right now. They're confused. If somebody believes that Christ was not even a, a real historical figure, example, we need to establish for them that he was a real historical figure. That he's more than just a real historical figure. Well, some some uh, some folks are currently having some real health issues right now. Uh, if not themselves, they're family members. We must remember that we need to deal with these issues so that Christ can be seen for who he is in their own lives. And finally, our attitude is vital in 1 Peter 3.16 keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Folks, we do not share the gospel or the good news because somehow Christians are morally superior. Anything but we're broken people like everybody else, nor do we treat other people and their convictions with disrespect at such a time as this. Instead, as stated earlier, what we share is to be shared with gentleness, gentleness, and respect. Then in, in verses seven to 10 in ch- uh, chapter four, Peter gives us some practical means to maintaining our faith community, really, even during the crisis and after this crisis passed. Read this, He knows the end is coming." He says, in verse seven of chapter four, "The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, Be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love, love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint as each one has received a special gift. Employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. So, Peter's laying out four ways for maintaining our community in these verses right here, and quickly. None of them can be done by ourselves in a vacuum, okay? This is why we need the church in times like this. But they only work when we regularly spend time with other believers, and right now, we're regularly spending time on the phone and by video conferencing. Okay, and if we need to do it every night just to keep the lines open, and one of the leaders here stay on the line just so somebody can call in, and and pray, we'll do it. Okay, the first is in verse seven, to be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Okay, the words literally mean be in your right mind and be sober. Okay, that means we can't be drunk. If we're only living for the pleasures of this present moment, if we're just getting it all, canning it all, we don't have any notion of eternity, then you will have no taste for heaven and no desire for prayer and reading God's Word. And to the preachers out there, you ought to be cranking out sermons right now, (laughs) like I am. We're cranking out sermons. This is like two sermons in one right now. Okay? Verse 8 focuses on the need that we all have for love. Peter says, above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. Look, folks, Christians are not perfect. Let me say that again. Christians are not perfect, okay? The stress of living and working in a crisis In a continued crisis mode like we've been in in the last two weeks, it can cause us to say things and do things that we regret, okay? Things that hurt can even destroy the precious relationships that we need so badly as God's family, okay? These things need to be covered and forgiven if we are to do life together as God's family members, So Peter calls us to love one another, all right, and to let love cover the offense that can ruin the camaraderie that holds our faith community together. It's true that we're to love our enemies and all the people of the world, but here in verse 8, here in verse 8, Peter seems to call for something extra. This is the extra sauce. He says, keep fervent in your love for one another. Here's a special degree of love. I mean, he takes it up a notch, okay? Fervent, earnest, strong, ardent, strongly felt. That's the original language. It's not just commitment love for those who you don't like, which is much easier said than done, but it's heartfelt affection for those who've come to trust, whom you've come to trust and cherish in your life. So how do we grow fervent in our love for other family members? Okay? There's no substitute. No substitute for being intentional and giving attention to our relationships. Love does not become fervent and earnest through neglect and distance, and which, you know, which makes this whole social distancing extremely, extremely uh, difficult, but we've got to give, give it a try. Friendship and trust and affection grows only with time spent together, togetherness. Time together weaves our lives together so that what hurts the one hurts the other, okay? God is calling us. God is calling us to cultivate that kind of love for one another, okay? I'm not going to always get along with everybody, okay? Uh, I'm not going to always agree with the uh, choices of song that Philip... Uh, picks and he picked you know one of my least favorite songs this morning uh, that's all <laughs> <I'm> just, <laughs> you know but we don't you know we don't break our relationships over that you don't break your relationships just because you don't get the carpet the the color of pews or the color of seats that you want okay just because you don't get the budget that you want for your ministry it's not worth as, as uh, this crisis has reminded us Okay, love, love is the principal thing. We need to keep fervent in your love for one another. All right, then in verse 9, chapter 4, he goes on to tell us, Be hospitable to one another without complaint. It's simple and practical command. Family members need to get together in each other's homes. And one of the things I love about these video conferences, okay, I'm getting a good look at a lot of your living rooms and some of your basements and uh, the books that you're reading. We can even see your bookshelves through the video feeds. It's great. It's a simple, practical command. And isn't, isn't it remarkable that in a book as weighty and spiritual as 1 Peter, we should read this simple and practical command, open up your homes to each other and don't grumble about the hassle. Wow. The more strange we feel in this old world, the more crucial this command becomes. okay. Without the camaraderie we feel in a fellow Christian's home, it is very hard to survive the alienation, the isolation that we're all feeling right now in society. We're all isolated. We're alienated. Well, Peter's encouraging us to make our home a haven for others, to find refreshment and encouragement along our pilgrim way in this world. You know, one of our senior saints last night in our, in our uh, uh, virtual prayer meeting, she shared with us, she was making a meal. I don't remember what she was baking, a casserole, peach cobbler. I just had to take myself off of mute, and I said, you know, Sister Pearl, I will be right over there after this service today. Uh, you know, I, I had a memory lapse. I forgot about the social, social distancing thing, okay? But many of you have the gift of hospitality Uh, Our elders have the gift of eating, okay? Those gifts really uh, complement each other, hospitality and eating. And we'll bring the Baptist juice, and we'll bring the dessert, too, as as soon as this crisis is done. And we'd love to visit you, and we'd love to host you in our homes as well, okay? Because something happens. Something happens when we get into somebody's home. Uh, It's as though the home is a doorway to your heart. You never know the impact that you and your families can make in the lives of those in need. Wounded hearts can be healed. Loneliness can be replaced with companionship. Fear can be transformed into hope. Finally, Peter gives us the strategy in verse 10 for using our gifts to minister God's grace to others. He said, as each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of god he says if your gift is serving serve fervently if your gift is giving give fervently as we're encouraging you to do right now eh, by clicking on the uh, the link below or going to ubcreal.org the major work of the ministry of any church is not done by the pastor, any elder or deacon, or by the staff, the real ministry of any church gets done by people in the pews. And this text says that each one, each one, note that each one has received a gift. And in our church, we have a spiritual gift inventory that we give to all new members, and we tell every one of you, you're given at least one spiritual gift. Use it, okay? Use it. And the function of that spiritual gift is simple. If it's meant for service or ministry, that means you being the agent or the conduit or the channel or the vehicle of God's grace to others. The major ministry of the church is brokering grace between God and His people. Don't miss this, it is utterly crucial and so plain in this text. You all have gifts, you're called to serve with these gifts. This means letting the grace of God come through your uniqueness, your unique gifts. The scriptures are clear. To the extent that we have been blessed by God, we are in return to be a blessing to the neighbors in our midst. We're not to hoard toilet paper and bottled water as the world is doing. God blesses us today so that we can be a channel of blessing to others and attract them to worship Him. Hebrews thirteen two says, Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by so doing some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Why is Peter's language so specific and urgent? because we've been called out of darkness into the particular, peculiar kingdom of Jesus Christ, we now have to think and act differently. We have to think and act as of everything in peculiar terms, whether it's money or power or the resources that we have or the relationships that we have. The world's culture tells us to get all you can and can all you get. That's not how scripture is telling us to do in a crisis like this. I mean, I think of the refugees, all the refugees who often leave their homes with only the clothes on their backs. You certainly can't take anything too heavy. Well, many of us need to have that mindset. We need to continue, continue traveling through, that, or through this world of ours with that mindset. Traveling a little bit more lighter lighter with our possessions lighter with our thoughts lighter with our words lighter with our actions because peter tells us that we've been called to be a chosen people a royal priesthood a holy nation god's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light you know earlier this week the international and i'll close with this story Uh, Earlier this week, the International Olympic Committee canceled the the Tokyo Summer Olympics. I mean, obviously, uh, it was a a blow to Japan and the world because we were all, uh, uh, you know, really uh, looking, anticipating that would happen. It was moved to 2022. But it wasn't that long ago, just 12 years ago, that uh, um, China, was going to host the Olympics, uh, some, the Summer Olympics in Beijing. This was back in 2000, summer of 2008. And if I can help uh, you know, jog our collective memories back a bit, I mean, the whole world was up in arms because Beijing uh, you know, uh, was hosting the, the Summer Olympics. And the, the protests happened around the world because of, of uh, the human rights element. And the, 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 news, the news headlines at that time, Olympic torch relay, chaotic in San Francisco, okay? Because San Francisco was chosen as the only U.S. city through which the Olympic torch, the precious Olympic torch would come through. And the headlines, the, the newspaper content would say, violent protests in Paris and London prompted several san francisco torchbearers to drop out as you see the torch would travel around the globe and get to beijing while it passed through san francisco and several torchbearers in san francisco dropped out because they dropped out in protest over some human rights abuses at that time again this was the only stop for the torch in north america the city was chosen The Olympic torch relay got off to a chaotic start when the torchbearer was routed away from thousands who turned out to cheer and protest the flame's journey to Beijing. The flame actually disappeared from view for about 30 minutes. Nobody knew where it went when the first torchbearer ran into a warehouse near the waterfront after the opening ceremony. It reappeared about a mile from its expected location. Before the opening ceremony, San Francisco police announced the relay's six-mile route would be cut in half. They didn't offer an immediate explanation, but city officials had warned they might shorten the route for security reasons. I mean, all that hoopla over the Olympic torch. Well, folks, we have been given an inheritance much, much more. We have been given a mission much more much more crucial and critical than carrying the Olympic torch to its destination. Jesus called us in Matthew 28, 18 to 20, to go into all the world, make disciples of all peoples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, to teach them everything I have taught you, and, lo, I'm with you through the end of the age we have been entrusted with God's heart for the peoples all around us and that is the good news and I'd like to uh, encourage those of you out there who are in need, who are yearning for some good news about now and again, if you stumbled onto this, uh, this uh, video stream and and you're yearning for that hope and that peace that I've been talking about. It's a simple solution. Uh, God's word says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And the apostle Paul says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. Okay, the world is broken. Absolutely, the world is broken. Every single molecule in the universe has been knocked out of whack ever since the fall in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve made the wrong decision. And since then, we've all fallen short of the glory of God. And we need forgiveness of our sins, okay? We can't be good enough. We cannot be good enough uh, to get to heaven. And that really is, is our eternal hope. God forbid if something were to happen and you don't wake up in the morning with this hope, at least you know, where you're gonna spend eternity. And that eternity has already been purchased for us through the precious blood of of God's son, Jesus Christ, who bled on the cross and then God raised him from the dead. And he simply says, repent, repent from your your sins, make a U-turn and then believe in in him. And it's not just head, head knowledge. It's not just believing that Jesus is a historical figure literally like the chair or the couch that you're sitting on you you actually believe in it and you're sitting on it so that's all God's asking us to do is to trust him with our lives to trust him with not just our temporal lives here on earth but trust him with our eternal life okay so I'm going to say a a word of prayer uh, for you and uh, if you want to just pray after me in, in your own living room with your families uh Please do it. And then I'm going to pray uh, for all of us as a church, as a community, uh, as a nation. So let's, let's go to God in prayer. And again, you, you can just uh, pray this prayer uh, for those who are yearning for hope and forgiveness. Um, Heavenly Father, um, my life is broken right now. We're broken. We're broken. And we're fearful and we're confused about tomorrow. We don't know where uh, the end is going to lead. We don't know where the bottom is going to fall out, Lord. And I recognize, we recognize it's because we have sinned uh, in what we have said and what we've thought about and what we've done to ourselves and to our neighbors and to you, Lord, we have sinned. And we need you. I need you now. I believe that Christ came to live, to die and was raised from the dead, uh, to rescue me from my sin. Forgive me, Lord. I, I I turn from my selfish ways and I put my trust in you, silent, quiet, confidence, trust. I know that Jesus is the Lord of all. I ask that you would forgive me of my sin. Come into my life, fill me with your Holy Spirit, and fill me with the hope and the joy and the peace that only can come from your Holy Spirit, Lord, and I'll follow you. Lord, help us, help us as a congregation, as people of hope and faith, Lord, to be salt and light that our world, uh, that is yearning, yearning. For hope and peace, help us to rise up in our uh, in our calling to be people of hope in this world. And uh, Lord, in this time of brokenness, Lord, one wrongdoing always seems to bring about another. Lord, minor tiffs can provoke uh, vindictiveness never-ending feuds between uh, family members. Lord, even between neighbors and closest family members. Only the power of your forgiveness can break the cycles of vengeance and fear that dominates our lives, that dominates the news headlines, Lord. We believe that you, the God of all goodness, can turn around The schemes of evil intent that what what Satan has meant for evil, Lord. COVID-19. What COVID-19 has meant for evil. You have meant for good in order to bring forth the triumph of all that is good. So cause our hearts to move in your mercy so that your forgiveness would flow. Healing, healing our broken lives. Healing our broken families healing our broken neighborhoods, Lord, healing our broken nation. Lord, by the Christ-like forgiveness of a few, bring about a greater goodness for many. We pray all of these things in the precious name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, thank you uh, again. Uh, for for joining us today Uh, you can again uh, view this uh, uh, web stream uh, throughout this week and uh, lord willing we don't know what's going to happen to next week but we promise you we promise you we assure you that we will be in contact with you I encourage you uh, all of our members out there to reach out to our church staff um, if you need anything okay if you need to uh, anything at all uh, reach out to us uh, it's uh, uh, at our office and through our website and uh, please continue uh, to give and support uh, to this ministry again through push pay uh, through uh, the mail at 1011 West Wilson Chicago Illinois 60640 and drop by our mailbox uh, in front and drop off uh, your tithes and offerings uh, your support is a, is uh, very very much appreciated in time like these, and you'll get a message uh, from pastor mark uh, as to how to connect with us uh, through our uh, virtual prayer meeting so god bless you
1: amen brother doug thank you so much for your message this morning philip has put it well we we need one another i thank the Lord that we can still connect in this way, and so, even though we're in our homes and we're paying we're the government authorities, we can still connect, and we should connect together. And so, I want to encourage you just to continue to reach out to one another, um, and reach out to those around you uh, during this during this season, and just pray and ask the Lord to lead you. Who, who should I call? Who should I reach out to? We have a lot of time, and so. Let's use that time for the Lord. I'm gonna close us with a word of prayer. Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the service. Thank you, Lord, for giving us these tools that we can reach out to one another and minister to one another. And Lord, we we know that even though we're limited uh, by some social distancing and some of the things that are out there, we are still able to accomplish your plans and purposes. And so, Lord. Just remind us that we are on mission for you and, and use us in any way that you can uh, to give a look at a word and a touch in Jesus' name. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.